Hello, everyone, and welcome to LifeWell's first podcast of 2020. I'm Jason Howard, and joining me today, as always, is James Vandaloo. Good morning, Jason. Hello, James. Uh, look, let's uh, let's jump straight in. It's obviously been a little while since we did an economic and market update with a view, I guess, of the year ahead. Um, really timely to be doing that now for for a couple of reasons. Firstly, you know, we certainly know for our client base, uh, you know, many people away during January enjoying summer holidays in Australia. Um, we've rolled over into February now. A really good time to be kicking in and, and talking about where we are today, looking out for the year ahead. And I guess the second point is, um, particularly with the market ructions over the last week or so, you know, having a think about and and you know what what life wealth position is around coronavirus and you know our take on that and the potential impact on you know economies and uh, and investments in particular. Sure, that's um, that's a good good place to start. Um, firstly, I think it's a horrible thing, um, mostly for the people of China and and, and the world. Um, my job, though, is more not on the human element, but on the financial side of things. And from that aspect, my opinion is it's actually not time to panic. Um, as a financial advisor, we're not experts on viruses, so we make that very clear. We see our role in a circumstance like this is to actually reach out to people that are experts and get their opinions, then make our judgments based on those opinions with the information we have at the time. So we have been doing that and seeking information from people that are experts, and the opinion I'm getting is it's likely to be similar to other things we have seen in the past, like SARS and MERS, that we ultimately figure out how to manage. Um, historically, we have seen a, a precedent with SARS. That outbreak actually killed 813 people. Yes. Uh, and the mortality rate of that virus was 9.6%. At this point, uh, the, the, the new strain that mortality rate's lower. It's mm. three to four percent. So that's one positive, I guess, we can take from that. Yeah. So the, the sense of it is, it's more contagious than SARS as it stands today. Um, the the spread of it's going more quickly, um, but the the I guess the terminal rate of it, if you like, or the uh, you know the 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 death cases from from it are not at the same level as SARS. That's absolutely correct. And we, we saw a chart last night for, for those listening that the stock markets were down pretty pretty heavily uh, Monday and Tuesday, but have a had a pretty good night last night in the US. And that was really because there was a chart released and it actually had showed um, the, the, the spread of that virus, which it's a very, very steep line and it's it's looks like it might be starting to appear just to lean over a little bit and stabilise, and that's what markets were quite quite positive about. We'll know more in the next next few weeks, but as that stabilises, I think markets will act fairly, fairly positively. Yeah, that was, that was certainly a, a, a bit of data that I wanted to bring to the table today as well, so I'm really glad that you went there. It, it does show... You know, for all the natural hysteria and sensationalism and, um, you know, the, the, the obvious attention that happens from the world media, and we know that that's a real difference today compared to when SARS, the SARS outbreak happened, you know, our ability to access information and for people to have a voice is far greater today than it was when SARS happened. Um, but the data is clearly showing 
that it is it is staying that the rate of infection is starting to slow down. Now, hopefully, that's not just a uh, a small moment in time, and we and we see that it actually expands from there. But it certainly appears to be a a relatively clear path at the moment. Um, you know, it's hard to not get really nervous about you know more than twenty thousand uh, more than twenty thousand people being infected in China. It's hard not to. That's a big number. Absolutely, there's no doubt it's a it's a very serious and scary event. Um, I doubt that this is an event that profoundly changed the course of human history in the way we live and our economies function, basically. So what we've seen in the past is you're definitely going to get a contraction and growth slowdown in the short term. So definitely Q1, the numbers aren't going to be flash. It'll probably spill over into Q2. But if history is a guide, we'll get a pretty sharp rebound in the, in, the, in the second half yeah, of the year. There's no doubt that domestically in Australia there's some, there's some industries, there's some segments that are going to be hurt. Absolutely. To, today, to be honest, the markets have been surprisingly resilient. Uh, clearly China's taken a hit uh, and that makes sense. Many Western companies at the moment are actually rethinking their supply chain. Um, they're already doing that though because of the trade wars yeah, right. that, that, that happened last year. So it's probably not great for China that it actually might re-accelerate some decisions uh, there. And that Wuhan area is absolutely a, a key part of many global businesses' yes. uh, supply chain. So um, I think we're going to see a trend of a relocalizing of the supply chain. So for US companies, that might be more back to Latin America and Mexico. Yeah. So China might lose out of this, un- un- unfortunately. Um, which is not great, but in the context of the global economy, I, I, I don't think um, you know this is going to be a game changer. But, but equally for China, I mean, obviously that's not a positive. But equally for them, they've been looking at effectively their own their own market for the last few years as well. Certainly, the last five that I can think of, uh, and trying to make their economy more resilient and less impacted by overseas markets. So they've been really trying to increase domestic demand. Their policies have been about trying to make a more affluent middle class, which then allows them to sell more products within their own um, domestic market. So they're not so reliant on the world. So if anything, that may in fact accelerate that as well. That's correct, and. Um, credit growth was slow in China last year anyway. It's been slowing. So China, while still growing, has been relatively weak. What I think this may well be a catalyst for is to see a pretty big stimulus package in the second half of the year once once this gets under control. Yeah, that makes sense. So so I guess the overriding, Sam, it is, as as we have, have both said throughout here, look, it's a terrible situation right now. Um, it is rightful for, for people to be concerned globally. You know, we're seeing more and more cases confirmed. I think the 13th case uh, was announced in Australia today. Um, certainly the second person outside of mainland China um, to pass away happened yesterday as well. We're right to be concerned, as always right to be vigilant. But from a purely economic point of view, it appears that the worst of it may well be over from a, from a market point of view, subject to any change down the, down the track. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think markets will keep this at the at the forefront of their of their thinking until there's signs of that growth rate of infection has peaked. Um, the bond market has reacted. Um, the bond market interest rates dropped pretty quickly. 
to the bond market saying growth is going to slow mm-hmm. um, because of this. So it's not markets have totally papered over over the cracks. Yep. Um, the equity market was strong and was very strong through January because it looked like manufacturing, which was really struggling in 2019, um, had created and we were just seeing a bit of a rebound in manufacturing. So basically global growth was was picking up from that manufacturing recession we had last year. So markets are saying, okay, this is great. Um, now this has happened, which is going to slow things down, but we do believe it's more likely to be a temporary effect. Mm. Um, that, that's, that's really good. That's a really good explanation. Um, we might move away from coronavirus just briefly. Uh, and for people who've uh, listened to the podcast before, um, you'll know that I quite often throw James a question without notice. Sometimes that's just about my musings. Um, so the US was up 1.5% last night. I was just thinking as we were sitting here, you know, we've we've certainly, as we've discussed, and I know a lot of industry commentators have said, well, that's, you know, really driven by, you know, the change in the um, infection rate of coronavirus. I'm sitting here as we're talking, I'm actually wondering how much of that's to do with the uh, Democratic Iowa caucus last night, which is the first primary of the, of the season. Um, whilst I'm thinking about it, you know, we've talked often before about how the market has reacted so positively to Trump over the last three years. Um, for those who may have read or may have heard and those that haven't, um, the Democrats went through their first stage of their process of electing their candidate last night, uh, and it was a schmozzle. Uh, it went incredibly badly. Um, they were using a new app. They were using a new system. There's talk of fraud. There's talk of um, you know conflicts of interest. The whole thing was a basket case. Normally, they'd expect to get a result within about three or four hours. It rolled into the next day, and they're only 60% counted. And there's a lot of commentary out there right now going, well, if they can't even get that right, how are they going to beat Trump? I wonder if there was any market reaction to that and that strong 1.5% result last night. (laughs) (laughs) I actually had breakfast this morning with an economist from Iowa Mm -hmm. and he said to me, I don't know if you're going to be able to trust me given you probably now don't think people from Iowa can even count. Yeah, quite rightly. (laughs) (laughs) So... um, yeah, basically consensus is the US is that um, the Republicans and Trump are going to win the election comfortably mm. and there's going to be a, a status status quo for the business environment. If we look at that, um, the US economy is going well. It's it's not flying, but it's, it's going very well. Mm. So it's really hard to see how a populist candidate can come in and really shake things up and want change when things are going so well on the ground. So we don't think there'll be a recession in the US in 2020. 2021 is a more interesting interesting year. Um, the one thing that's not quite right in the US, so if you look for um, the people, it's great, is corporate earnings. Corporate earnings are actually quite, uh, quite weak. So there is revenue growth, but... Um, What's actually started to happen, and it's just how capitalism works, is, is wages growth. The labour is starting to take a little bit of a bigger share again of profits, and it's shrinking. That was masked for a few years by buybacks because companies were borrowing cheap money, buying back stock, and it was being accredited with earnings per share. They've almost hit the limit of that because we've all got um, you know debt-to-equity ratios. So they can't do that as as well as they have been in the past few years. 
then now you're seeing um, earnings growth slow. So earnings growth was flat last mm. year. There, there wasn't much top line growth across um, the big US US corporates. So um, for markets to keep going up uh, into 2021, we're going to need to see a really reacceleration of, of earnings growth. It's going to need to be more policy reform. Yeah, sure. Make that and 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 I guess that's part of it, isn't it? I mean, if Trump gets in, there's every chance, which which I agree, looks very likely right now. Um, I, I think the Democratic um, primary process is not going to be pleasant. And and I guess one of their arguments potentially against Trump is he he's old, he's over seventy. Three of the four leading candidates on the Democratic side are over seventy as well, so they don't even have that. Um, I don't think the Democratic Party is really clear on what it stands for anymore, which is you know which is a challenge it faces. Um, earnings growth uh, that that makes real sense. Um, that that actually gives us a chance to segue to a, a, a topic that uh, you and I often talk about, Tesla. Um, I think Tesla's a really interesting one that we like to talk about. Um, you know, they announced earnings growth last week. The share price went up twenty percent in the day. Uh, quite extraordinary. You've got uh, can, do you, uh, share price at the moment. Do you? Uh, it was nine hundred dollars last night. I saw a bull uh, a bull market uh, analyst talking last week, uh, putting a price expectation of seven thousand dollars on Tesla per share. It's pretty bullish. Um, it's an interesting one. So uh, you know, I don't know if you want to have a quick chat about that because it gets so much press. Tesla. Te- Tesla's a really hard one. We could probably do a whole podcast just on yes, just on Tesla because you've got your old school value manager saying there is nothing, there is nothing there. The business makes very little, one very little revenue, no profit at the moment. It burns through cash, and the valuation is. There's some ridiculous stat that it's mm. basically worth Ford, GM, Porsche, all, all, all combined. Mm. Um, I was in the US in November and there were some very growth tech managers that were saying to me I should be loading up on Tesla. I thought that would I thought that were nuts. Yes. I would have doubled my money in the last three months yeah. if I had taken, yeah. uh, taken their advice. So it's a it's a new economy. Economy stock, that's for sure. The uh, the old bean counters and and value guys that that like profit in the bank it doesn't make sense. Uh, many of them have shorted the stock, and they are tearing up money on that short. Just at the yeah, the shorts are getting hurt, aren't they? It's it burned. Is the uh, yeah yeah yeah? It's like the totem pole of of. Um, Industry analysis and, and fund fund manager views, isn't it? It's like the one that everyone hangs their head up one way or another. Yeah, the one thing that that may well actually save Tesla is this share price appreciation. If if I was Elon, I would be using this bounce to raise capital and lots of it while he can get his hands on it, because it's still going to be years before he can actually turn it general. I have to say, you and I have known each other for twenty years. I can actually see you as being Elon. I really, I reckon you've got some of the characteristics. Oh my! I'm making, <laughs> probably making a bit of the clients nervous. <laughs> no, no. I think uh, everyone knows you're you're a man of absolute professionalism, and uh, you know, um, you know uh, opinions and positions based on data and all those sorts of things. But uh, I, I reckon there'd be elements you'd be really good at. Um, I reckon you could really enjoy having that much money for a start. <laughs> well. We all could, I think. Uh, but, it, but it's actually pretty interesting. I mean, you talked about Ford before. Um, you know, how long have cars been around for? 120 years, 130 years, something like that. It's almost like that old Henry uh, Henry Ford 
common, isn't it? You can have your car in any color as long as it's electric. Right. <laughs> it really has changed, hasn't it? It, it, it absolutely has. So it'll be interesting in a few years' time if the, the big incumbents um, produce more of these electrics and they, they take market share. But at the moment, the market's saying Tesla is um, going to be a big winner. There was, in, that, in that result, I read an article in the last couple of days just talking about underlying that is, is some other concerns as well. And I think it was uh, the Netherlands uh, last month actually had a 99% drop in uh, the sale of new Teslas month to month. And it was a pretty simple reason why. Uh, it was that subsidies from the, the Dutch government were actually going to drop away or they were either reducing or they were pulled out completely. And they went from some extraordinary number of cars sold in the month of X, um, which was in the thousands, down to like 100 cars or something like that. Now, clearly, that's a, that's a one-off situation. But you know, we can't get away from the fact that subsidies are a big part driving driving the sales. You know, we all we all see the technology. We all realise that it's really good. We all know that it's potentially important to a cleaner future. But there's still subsidies there. Oh, absolutely. So um, I'm not really sure how Tesla plays out. I was not very bullish on Tesla 12 months ago. I remember, but I'm so far being being proven proven very wrong. Mm. And um, We'll wait and see, but I I do think if he raises money now, that'll get him enough. That was always my my problem. He was going to run out of cash, and then yes. without the results, not be able to raise it. Mm. There's nothing like a couple of hundred percent price appreciation to uh, yeah, absolutely get investors to write you a check. Well, it's eighty six. The share price is up eighty six percent in the last four or five months. Isn't yeah, it? since about November. High risk, high return. Absolutely. Um, okay, so let's let's move away from Tesla, given we didn't necessarily plan to go there. Um, what else would you like to talk about? Uh, Brexit, perhaps? Oh, Brexit. So that that occurred over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, England is now England. And um, really, they want to become Australia. That's the truth. They want to sit there as a nimble, smaller country and be able to do free, free trade deals with the US, with China, back with Europe. It's going to be interesting to see how they go and how the politics of um, of that all uh, and that all plays out. Um, for those that are wondering why the world didn't end on the weekend or there wasn't much volatility around it, it's because there really is another year for them to negotiate these deals at the moment. Yes, it's it's status quo on um, on trade and customs. So I think I actually think that it's going to get a little bit hairy on them trying to get done what they need to get done. I don't think the EU is going to make it easy. I don't think the US is going to make it easy for them either. Yeah, I agree. I'm not sure. I know they're not happy about uh, the 5G network and, and you know, Huawei, I think I'm pronouncing that, yeah. that right. So uh, it'll be really interesting if they can get to where they want to be. I uh, I wish them well. I love England. So um, we'll wait and see what Boris can deliver. Yeah. Pompeo has been pretty clear about his uh, view on behalf of America around 5G. Um, that's the first part. The second part, uh, I don't think the US will make it easy for them either. I mean, if there's anything we've taken out of the last three or four years of Trump, I mean, you know, either side of the election, you know, there's a sense looking from the outside in and, you know, reading all the articles and all the commentary and all the events that come to pass, there's a lot of people who think they've got a special relationship with Trump. Mm. And when it when it comes down to it, there is no special relationship. No, um, and you're going to get the screws are going to be tightened. 
ab- absolutely, you can uh, rely on Mr. Trump to look after the best interests of Mr. Trump and uh, the US of A. Yeah, without a doubt. And I guess that's a big part of why he more than likely will get elected again in November. Absolutely. Uh, very good. You and I, just before we started recording this podcast, we were talking about uh, Johnson made a speech in the last, I don't know if it was yesterday or the day before, about uh, the climate conference summit they're having in Scotland later in the year. And, you know, I talked about, uh, I think Johnson sees this almost as his big coming out parade post breakfast. It's at breakfast, post Brexit. Um, that's, a, that's a pretty common uh, slip of the tongue, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's almost like he sees this as his Churchill moment because they, they've definitely got some things they can hang their hat on around, um, you know, taking action with renewable energies and, you know, driving significant proportion of their energy from renewable sources over the last couple of years. They, they've definitely taken some great strides. Um, but it, it certainly it feels like a coming out parade for him and he's going to spend the next period of time really getting ready for that, uh, that conference later in the year. Absolutely, and um, I think sustainability will be one of the big themes of of twenty twenty. Yeah, agree. And I, I don't mean theme as in a, a fad. I mean it's it's changing, mm. and um, it's really at the forefront. And what um, Europe's done is this law reform there that actually makes it advantageous to um, invest with ESG in mind. I think that's a good thing for the planet. And it'll make money because, as we know, uh, like you spoke about before with Tesla and subsidies, capital goes where the subsidies are yes. and where it makes money. So I, I think we're at a bit of an inflection point. And if you asked me five or ten years ago about um, investing sustainably, I used to look into options for clients because my job is to represent them and their values, but the little voice in the back of my head was saying, um, for your value, it's going to cost you a lot of money. It's not the case anymore. Um, The world really is changing, and uh, I think for the better. So we won't go too deep into it now. We've got a a podcast coming up solely on this topic because we are getting more and more inquiries for clients. So we've been doing a lot of work in the last few months on portfolio construction and how we can build things that might uh, really align well with clients' clients' values where they sit on this. Yeah, and I think I might just touch on that really briefly because it, it, it talks about a couple of things over the last two months um, and, and prior to that, and you, you mentioned a podcast, which, we, which we'll talk about as well. Um, you and I had a conversation between Christmas and New Year um, when, the, when the bushfires are really at their worst, um, and, and we talked about the fact that I think we need to do a better job of um, explaining to our clients what options we do have with regard to you know really focused ethical investment or ESG investment or, or whatever you want to call it. And we've been doing a lot of work on that over the last probably six to twelve months to make sure we we do have really strong, robust uh, mechanisms to make good decisions about those funds and those investments. And we've done that work. And we talked between Christmas and New Year about it, it actually felt like the bushfires, particularly domestically, but maybe even around the world as well, given the amount of press that was happening, that felt like the tipping point. That was the part where it crossed over where people were like, yes, I want to do the right thing. What is the right thing? To the tipping point of saying, 
no, this needs to change now yes. and, and I've got a role to play in that. So, so we've spent a bit of time in the last month talking about, okay, well, how can we get that um, conversation started with our clients? And we really see two things around that. We, we, will, we, we are just waiting to re, re, uh, record a podcast um, with a special guest to add a little bit more um, depth and flavor to that who's a client of LifeWealth. That's the first part. Um, second part, we're actually looking to potentially pull a, um, uh, an information session, a, a conference, a discussion later on in the year uh, around um, sustainability and that's both with regard to investments and the options available to us um, and more broadly, if you like, intergenerational wealth transfer, that big change that's coming into the future and how that affects clients and how we can support them around that. So. There's definitely more to come, a lot more we want to add to that conversation and make clear for our clients and our listeners. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll uh, do that over the next little while. Absolutely. That might be not a bad uh, point to talk a little bit about Australia, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, the view for Australia. There's one big thing that I have taken out of, uh, of the last few months in Australia, and that is I believe... The government is pivoting and they're sort of doing it quietly, but um, I think the surplus is looking like less of a priority and expansionary fiscal settings look a lot more likely. Yeah, I think that's very cool. So um, that's probably going to be a good thing. I I think there's one more interest rate cut here, uh, probably in May, probably before before the budget. I think at that point the... RBA will sit on their hands, see what the government do on the fiscal fiscal front, and hope they don't have to cut further in the in the second half of the year. So um, I think it's going to be slow in Australia again in in 2020. But I think even with all the all the things where we're getting hit at the moment, um, bushfire impact clearly the coronavirus out of China has an impact on Australia. I think we're going to be able to keep our nose above water and keep grinding on. So there's not much earnings growth. The market has been really strong in the last three or four yeah, months. It's been buoyant. Given there's so little top line growth from the big blue chips companies in Australia, uh, the banks are really, really struggling. They're, they're actually one place that possibly looks cheap, but they've got some structural, structural yes. issues. Yes. So... Um, the PE on the market is at the expensive end of the historical range. So I certainly don't think we're going to get the returns we got last year out of out of Aussie equities. But you know, the market still has about a 5% dividend yield. And uh, I tried to do a term deposit this morning and was offered about 1.3%. Yeah, you're definitely not getting 5 eh? So um, I think if you're getting dividends and maybe a little bit of CPI on the on the, the growth of the underlying business, that's probably as good as it gets. Mm. Uh, while not brilliant in an absolute number, it, it's still many multiples of what you need in cash. Yeah, agreed. Very good. So, so I guess um, you know, as we as we get towards wrapping this up, I, I guess the overriding summary of that is, as always, uh, monitoring uh, markets monitoring the economy, um, obviously come together with the investment committee, making decisions as and when they need to be made. Right now, it's a hold as much as anything else. There's no uh, major changes that need to be made in the investment committee as we see it, but obviously, we're always vigilant. Absolutely. I think if if any particular clients were 
way overweight China and emerging markets, you might be a little bit nervous. If you're way overweight growth, it might be not a bad time to pause and get yourself back in, into a more diversified yeah, position. Yeah, good call. Yes. But generally, I think we're sitting pretty well from the way clients are constructed. Um, low growth environment, the high quality businesses are growing. I think people are still going to um, want to own them and pay for them. So that part of the market would do okay. Um, but we've got a lot of long duration assets like um, treasury bonds, like infrastructure, like long weighted average lease property in the portfolios. That if things do get worse, those assets will get a bit because the first thing that's going to happen is we're going to get rate cuts globally. Yes. So I think we're actually hedged okay for where the world stands at the moment. If things do get materially worse and this, this virus isn't under control, we're going to have to review things and, and put the bumper bars up. That makes sense. But we're certainly not there. We're certainly not there yet. Yeah. Okay, James, I think that's probably a, a good place to leave it. We probably finished where we started talking about coronavirus. It's hard not to have that very much uh, front of mind at the moment given it's, it's, it's such a, a pressing issue. Um, but again, we, we think there's some more positive signs uh, that, that perhaps it is slowing and, and let's hope that is the case for, for everyone, particularly the people of Wuhan. Absolutely. Excellent. Um, thank you as always. Always enjoy a chat. Uh, always nice for us to record these chats and, uh, and have them for people to listen to um, and we, we keep pushing forward. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye.